Good day, everyone, and welcome to the User Testing Second Quarter 2022 Earnings Conference Call. Please note that this event is being recorded. For opening remarks and introductions, I will now turn the call over to Erica Mannion at Sapphire Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you and good morning. With me today from user testing are Andy McMillan, Chief Executive Officer, and John Paxton, Chief Financial Officer. Andy will begin with a brief review of the business results for the second quarter ended June 30, 2022. John will then review the financial results for the second quarter, followed by the company's outlook for the third quarter and full year, 2022. We will then open the call for questions. Please note that this call will include forward-looking statements that involve risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from management's current expectations. For a discussion of material risks and other important factors that could affect our actual results, please refer to the risk factors contained in our SEC filings available on the SEC's website and our Investor Relations section of our website, as well as the risks and other important factors discussed in today's press release. Additional information will also be set forth in our quarterly report on Form 10-Q to be filed for the quarter ended June 30, 2022. All material contained in the webcast is the sole property and copyright of user testing with all rights reserved. Please note this discussion includes certain non-GAAP measures, including non-GAAP net loss and non-GAAP net loss per share, which are not measures prepared in accordance with U.S. GAAP. We have included non-GAAP measures in this discussion as we believe that they provide investors with a means of evaluating and understanding how the company's management evaluates the company's operating performance. These non-GAAP measures should not be considered in isolation from, as substitutes for, or superior to financial measures prepared in accordance with U.S. GAAP. Information regarding reconciliation of non-GAAP to GAAP measures can be found in the press release that was issued this morning on our Investor Relations section of our website. Now, I would like to turn the call over to Andy. Thank you, Erica, and thanks to everyone for joining us on the call today. We're doing our call today from our European headquarters in Scotland. John and I are here meeting with our team and with some of our customers. Our international revenue grew 55% year over year in the second quarter and is now 21% of our total revenue. Our office in Edinburgh is our second largest office globally, and we're looking forward to spending some time with this team. We reported a record second quarter with revenue of $48 million, up 36% year over year. Subscription revenue reached $45 million, an increase of 40% year over year. This represents our sixth consecutive quarter of year over year subscription revenue growth of 40% or greater. Our non-GAAP operating margin of minus 22% was much better than the minus 31% midpoint guidance we previously provided as we managed expenses more tightly in the quarter given the uncertain economic climate ahead. Our calculated billings were $53 million, up 27% year-over-year, and our net dollar retention rate was 112%, down from 117% in the prior quarter and year-over-year. Broadly speaking, most of the reduction in net dollar retention rate was due to delayed decisions around expansion deals. Gross retention was stable among our larger customers, but as you would expect, we did see higher churn among smaller customers. In the last part of the quarter, we saw customers broadly reassess their second-half budgets, which extended our sales cycles. While we continue to see good interest and need for our platform, concerns about the macroeconomic environment will likely persist for the next two quarters. Our sales performance over the past two years has been strong. We were able to accelerate our subscription revenue growth rate nearly every quarter since late 2019. Coupled with consistent sales efficiency, we continue to invest heavily in our sales and marketing organization over that time, even though those investments extended the company's path to profitability. However, as a result of the uncertain economic environment, we reduced our global employee base by approximately 7% in July, primarily in our sales and marketing organization. This reduction will reduce sales capacity and some supporting functions, but we believe it will accelerate our path to profitability as a business and better position us to weather an extended economic downturn. When economic conditions improve, we expect to shift our focus to scaling the organization as we have done in the past. I'd like to take a moment to thank the impacted employees for their contributions to the company and all of the support they provided to our customers. Specific to the second quarter, we have some great new wins and growth transactions, including Chase Bank, Minute Media, Pearson, Pixar, Rocket Central, Tailored Brands, Trainline, and Woolworths. We are very excited to have these customers adopting and expanding the usage of our Human Insight platform. We ended the quarter with 376 large customers, which we categorize as those spending more than 100000 in ARR which is a 51% increase year over year. 
In total, we now have approximately 2,550 customers on the platform, up 27% from one year ago. We continue to invest in our platform and believe it is the leading platform in the market today to help companies understand the driving forces behind customer behavior and deliver actual insights to make smarter and faster business decisions. Our July market release included some great feature enhancements, including Instant Insights, which accelerates post-test analysis by automatically detecting patterns, anomalies, and servicing key insights within the video-based customer experience narratives. The Instant Insights are presented in a dashboard, allowing customers to quickly identify important takeaways from their test. The user testing platform is now also available in French for both customer and contributor experiences. Tests can now be conducted in French with French-speaking contributors, giving customers the ability to reach more people around the world. We also launched a new user interface and a self-service single sign-on to provide better governance for enterprise-scale deployments. New card sorting capabilities so users can view video feedback alongside card sorting metrics and gather more comprehensive understanding of contributors' mental models. And a new native media asset testing feature that allows companies to test more sensitive media and gather feedback on unreleased assets like video and audio files before launching them to the public. We also released new templates focused on customer expectations around inflation. The template bundle is ideal for decision makers at consumer-focused companies include pre-built test plans that help our customers, one, understand how customers are changing their preferences, habits, and priorities in reaction to higher inflation in the market, and second, bolster customer loyalty and make confident decisions on repackaging a product or service by collecting proactive customer feedback on changes. Organizations can still use user testing's pre-built sample questions as is or customize the templates to address their specific business needs. We now have over 100 pre-built testing templates available on the platform. Turning to use cases, a large luxury fashion house tested a virtual try-on feature for clothing and used the insights to increase customer interactions and better personalized content and saw an increase in their app store rating to a 4.9. We'll also highlight a large global meal delivery company that's now testing 90% of all app and research initiatives through user testing. They estimate a 400% increase in the speed of receiving insights and completing research projects. The speed and quality of insights on our platform allows companies to incorporate external testing of prototypes, marketing campaigns, and other experiences into workflow processes to ensure human insight is a regular part of these processes. It helps them to achieve greater certainty that they are building the best experiences and achieving their desired outcomes. So despite the broad economic climate, we continue to focus on delivering value to our customers and the things we can control. I've spent many hours with customers over the past quarter and have been energized by the satisfaction they have expressed to me. Now more than ever, it is important that companies know how their customers feel and why. We are continuously innovating on our platform to help companies gain actual insights so they can make smarter and faster business decisions. The Human Insight platform helps companies optimize the use of human insight so they can better understand what is driving customer behavior and adapt to changes in the market. With that, I'll turn it over to John to discuss our financial results in more detail. Thank you, Andy, and thank you, everyone, for joining the call today. Let's begin with the key financial highlights. As Andy mentioned, revenue for the second quarter was a record $48 million, an increase of 36% compared to the prior year period. Subscription revenue of $45 million increased 40% compared to the prior year period. Our net dollar based revenue retention rate was 112% in the second quarter, down from 117% in the second quarter of 2021. For context, our average net dollar retention rate in 2020 was 110% in what was a tougher economic year, and then improved to an average of 118% in 2021, which was a much better economic year. So the 112% is within the historical range of what we have seen during more challenging economic environments. Calculated billings were 53 million, an increase of 27% year over year. As Andy mentioned, we believe concerns around the economic environment resulted in a lower close ratio than what we have seen in the past. And again, this was more pronounced among our smaller customers and with closing new customer wins. As I talk about operating loss, free cash flow, gross margins, and expenses, I'll be referring to non-GAAP measures, unless otherwise specified. A reconciliation of GAAP to non-GAAP measures is included in today's earnings press release. Operating loss in the second quarter was 
10.6 million, which compares to 10 million in the prior year period. The operating margin was minus 22%, which compares favorably to minus 29% in the year ago period. We continue to show meaningful progress on our path to profitability, and this quarter's results were better than our original expectations as we started to restrict certain discretionary spend in the quarter with a tightening economic environment. Free cash flow was minus 1.3 million in the quarter with a free cash flow margin of minus 3%. We ended the quarter with 164 million in cash. We've had some volatility in our free cash flow over the past few quarters with changes in our collection rates and some large payments impacting working capital. So I believe the first half free cash flow measures are more representative of a normalized trend. For the first six months ended June 30, the free cash flow margin was minus 19%, compared to minus 30% for the prior year period. The six-month measures are more closely aligned with our non-GAAP operating margins and also show the progress we have made on our path to profitability. Gross margin in the second quarter was 78%, and subscription gross margin was 82%, up roughly 400 basis points compared to the year-ago period. Turning to operating expenses, sales and marketing was 63% of revenues in Q2, compared to 57% in the prior year period. We have increased spend in this area for a couple of years now, and with the changing economic environment, most of our restructuring efforts have been focused in this area. The reduction in employees will reduce sales capacity of our team, but we believe it will help to make the investments we have made more efficient. We still have some large in-person events planned in the third and fourth quarters, but we expect to see more leverage in 2023. We continue to see some leverage in R&D expense in the second quarter, which was 21% of revenue compared to 27% in the prior year period. G&A expense was 16% of revenue in the second quarter compared to 18% in the prior year period. Now on the guidance. We are lowering our revenue guidance for the full year of 2022 by approximately 4% to a new range of 190 million to 193 million, representing a new growth rate of 29% to 31% year over year. For the third quarter, we expect revenue of 47.5 million to 48.5 million, or a growth rate of 23% to 26% year over year. For the full year, we are improving our expected non-GAAP operating margins by 400 basis points to a new range of minus 25% to minus 23%. For the third quarter, we expect non-GAAP operating margins in the range of minus 29% to minus 27%. For the full year, we expect non-GAAP net loss per share to be between minus 31 cents and minus 33 cents assuming 144 million weighted average shares outstanding. For the third quarter, we expect non-GAAP net loss per share between minus nine cents and minus 10 cents, assuming 144.5 million weighted average shares outstanding. We expect to incur restructuring costs of approximately 1.5 million in the third quarter related to cash severance. We plan to treat that restructuring expense as an adjustment to non-GAAP financial measures and therefore is excluded from our guidance. Overall, we had some good results for the quarter. We believe the uncertainty around the macroeconomic environment impacted us in the last few weeks of the quarter, and those conditions will likely continue until uncertainties subside. We have shown the growth potential of our platform with six consecutive quarters of year-over-year -year subscription growth of 40% or greater, and still believe in the market opportunity ahead. It is critical for organizations to have great experiences for customers, prospects, employees, and others. User testing is pioneering a better way to help companies do that with our Human Insight platform. I'll now turn the call over to the operator for questions. At this time, we'll be conducting a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, please press star one on your telephone keypad. A confirmation tone will indicate that your line is in the question queue. You may press star 2 if you would like to remove your question from the queue. For participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing the star keys. 
One moment, please, while we pull for questions. Our first question is with Elizabeth Porter from Morgan Stanley. Please proceed with your question. Hi, thanks for the question. First, just from a more high level, can you speak to the defensibility of spend uh, for user testing? And, and, more, and where does user testing really fit within kind of the IT budget prioritization and, and where those dollars are coming from? And then second, kind of more specifically, you mentioned churned at the low end of the customer segment. Can you comment on what you're seeing at, in terms of the top of the funnel kind of new customer demand, just given some of these IT budgets are coming under greater scrutiny and, and some of those dollars maybe for a user may be harder to come by? Thanks. Sure. Thanks, Elizabeth. Um, I would start by saying I think a lot of the budget for user testing actually tends to come through an R&D team as opposed to more traditional uh, IT spend. And what we see is that uh, R&D teams leverage user testing often through either their design, their design ops, or some kind of research team. And we tend to be one of the primary tools, especially for a research team, to get their job done efficiently. So uh, I think it is a pretty mission-critical tool for people in those roles. And we tend to see more of those dedicated roles uh, in more established sort of enterprise customers. And so I think that sort of speaks to the, the churn aspect, as we mentioned, with smaller companies, which might have somebody sort of doing this some of the time versus in a scaled organization where you have a, you know, a research team or a design research team where this is a key part of their workflow for, for shipping product, um, that we see it being mission critical in those environments. And, and that's sort of reflected in the numbers. I think to your second point on uh, demand. We continue to see strong demand at the top of the funnel for the product. I think there's uh, an increased need, if you will, to understand customers, changing behaviors. Uh, we launched some templates, as we mentioned on the call, around understanding your customer's uh, view of impact of inflation on your product. And so uh, we continue to see really strong demand at the, at the top of the funnel in our marketing channels. And most of what we talked about was the just the slowdown in, in budgets getting approved. And we found that to be generally true of the budget overall with the organizations we were working with, not with the budget specific to user testing. We heard a lot of folks say, you know, our whole department's doing a second half budget review. And once we're through that review, you know, our deal cycle, we'll, we'll go through that evaluation at that point. So we continue to see good, good top of funnel demand. Great, thank you for the color. Thank you. Our next question is from Terry Tillman with Truist Securities. Please proceed with your question. Hey, everyone. This is actually Joe Mears um, for Terry. Uh, thanks for taking the question. Uh, you, you talked about this a bit in the prepared remarks, but just curious how much of the revenue outlook is driven by less new customer activity versus ARPU weakness, and how is the international business performing, um, and is, is the macro more or less impacting the still emerging part of your business? Thank you. Um, I would say as far as ARPU versus customer acquisition, um, you know, I, I think it's less driven by an ARPU issue. Uh, what, we, what we mentioned on the call is that uh, I think the SMB segment, you know, one of the unique things about our business is we sell in every segment. We sell to really, really small companies all the way to the biggest enterprises in the world. Um, I think it's, it's typically true of economic cycles. It's a lot more dynamic at the lower end of the market with smaller companies who might restrict spending as a matter of life and death for their company to survive. And so uh, I think in that segment, uh, SMB, kind of small business in particular, uh, we think there will be uh, tougher logo acquisition for, for acquisition of all kinds of software products. And so that's why we reduced our investment in that team as part of our restructuring. Um, and that's where we see the bigger impact as opposed to kind of a degradation of, of our ARPU. Um, and on your second point, um, you know, we saw a pretty similar impact geographically. We actually saw a strong performance out of our international business, um, you know, overall. And I think it's, again, more segment driven than driven by geography for us. Super helpful. Thank you. Our next question is from DJ Hines with Canaccord Genuity. Please proceed with your question. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, Andy, at the, at the high end of the market, can, can you remind us how much customer coexistence you have with firms like Qualtrics? And, and, and is there any signs that those buyers are consolidating spend around bigger platforms instead of point solutions? Like, I, I, I know you don't solve the same problems, but I'm curious if you're sensing any kind of close enough thinking in this environment. Yeah, I mean, we coexist often with um, some type of tool for doing quantitative analysis, kind of a survey type tool. 
We often coexist with some kind of analytics or measurement tool. So folks want to know what people are clicking on in their apps and things like that. Um, those are often even used by different teams uh, in an organization. Um, our tool is primarily used by you know, a design research team, a UX research team, um, to really get feedback on how people interact with a UI that might not even be in production. We see a lot of prototype testing on our platform, again, which you're just not going to be able to do with production analytics, or for example, you can't survey your customer base about a UI they've never seen before. Uh, and so I, we don't see a lot of displacement risk from a consolidation standpoint. Um, I think for us, it's really just around companies continuing to invest in those those teams that are that are you know supporting the UX research efforts that are going on in their product organizations. Yeah, makes sense. That's helpful color. And then, uh, John, a follow-up for you. If we, if we look at sales and marketing spend as a percent of revenue, what do you think is the right level for this business going forward? Well, yeah, so we have a path to profitability that we've, we've outlined in the IPO. We added a slide back into our investor deck of just kind of our midterm model as well as our long-term model. Um, and we're on a path to get that to 45% of revenue over, you know, X period of, of time. Uh, we've seen it, 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 it increase more recently um, as we've invested in that over the last couple of years. But the, the efficiency metrics were really in line for, for all these quarters up until more recently. So when we saw the, the softness come in this quarter, we look at the outlook, we said, no, you know, now, now we're falling out outside of those bands of efficiency that are comfortable for us. We made adjustments. Um, but over time, uh, we, we uh, want to march that line to, to about 45% of revenues um, is, is our midterm model. Got it. Okay. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Our next question comes from Arjun Batier with William Blair. Please proceed with your question. Um, awesome. Thanks, guys, for taking the question. Um, just going back to the um, expansion uh, and NRR point um, where it seems like some of the weakness is coming, is that purely driven by deals being pushed out, or are you are you seeing any signs of downsell from existing customers that are reducing um, existing contracts um, at renewal? And, and just as a follow-up to that, I'm curious if there's any specifics that you would point out in terms of um, customer verticals, uh, if, if there's any differences that you're seeing there. Yeah, to take the last part first, I don't think we saw a pronounced difference in any specific set of verticals. Um, at least nothing that sort of jumped out right at the end of the quarter. So, you know, I'd say nothing dramatic there. In terms of the, the kind of expansion revenue impact on NRR, um, it's, it's tough to delineate that question because I think what we heard from our customers that didn't make those transactions was, you know, we're redoing our second half budgets. What we heard a lot of teams say, much like we did at user testing where we restructured a bit for the second half. And so those teams are basically telling us as we redo those budgets, uh, obviously the headcount tied to doing things like UX research require our tools. So if there's a you know headcount impact there, there could feasibly be some impact on a um, you know number of seats needed or something like that. But for the most part on the expansion deals, it was largely just delayed decision. Uh, and so you know those projects go through an evaluation once new budgets are deployed. Uh, you know, we're only a few weeks into this quarter, but, you know, in, in most of these deals, we're back into a cycle of, you know, ensuring that they understand the ROI of our purchase and, and sort of trying to get those cycles executed. So it's, I would say it's largely delayed decision versus any kind of, um, a, you know, atrophy of, of current spend. Okay. Um, got it. That's, that's very helpful. Uh, and then, John, maybe one for you just on the, on the guidance. Um, as you're looking at assumptions for the back half, are you thinking that hey, what we saw in, in Q2 continues? Are you anticipating that um, this, this gets worse, um, the macro gets worse as we, as we push into the, into the back half? And I'd love to hear a little bit more color maybe in terms of just um, some of the uh, customer, um, uh, you know, budget restructuring that's, that's going on in the, um, that could happen in the back half um, and in terms of what you're, what you're baking into your assumptions. Yeah, our our guide assumes that the softness that we saw really in, that came in in the last few weeks of the quarter. When we started the quarter, we had uh, you know our sales team was calling a, a, a different number, and and the, the world kind of shifted meaningfully towards the the end of the uh, last month of the quarter when we do most of our deals. So uh, we're we're carrying that softness through to the end of the year um, as our kind of the current assumption that we built into in, in, into the guide. Um, 
And then what was the other part of that question on the budget? I, I think, yeah, I, I think you mostly answered it, but, um, you know, just oh, just oh yeah, of, for, for people, what we heard is, is yeah, people were reevaluating budgets. Like, again, the deals that we were anticipating closing, um, the, the feedback was that, that, that a lot of companies are kind of pausing purchase decisions and, and reevaluating. Um, and then we just held our our uh, our annual sales kickoff meeting um, last last week. It was our first time we've got our whole sales team together in two two and a half years, I believe. Um, and I got to sit in on a lot of the uh, the sales team kind of discussions. And uh, there's really I thought there's a lot of confidence and optimism more more so in Q Q4 uh, than than a lot of worries about the macro environment. So that was again more at the global and enterprise level that I was I was sitting in with those teams. So I love to hear their confidence, their focus, um, and and the need. So, uh, but our guide assumes that we see softness through the end of the year, um, and we'll see how this plays out with the with the economy and and, and these decisions that need to be made with our customers, potential customers. Got it. Okay, perfect. Um, thank you very much for taking my questions. Thank you. Our next question comes from Pindalim Bora with J.P. Morgan. Please proceed with your question. Hey, thank you for taking the questions. Um, I want to understand, uh, I think you talked about a reduction in sales capacity. Um, is that largely associated with the, with the low end of the sales pyramid? Trying to understand why reduced sales capacity as demand is there and, and maybe ready, ready when the macro improves or the close rates improve. Yeah, I mean, just to take the last little bit quickly, um, we've shown an ability as a management team to be able to ramp up sales capacity and make it quite productive um, in the past, uh, driving growth rates up and things like that. So one, we went into this thought process knowing that as we have more certainty, we can always ramp demand back up, uh, and we have a team that's shown the ability to, to do that, to, to ramp up capacity, sorry, not ramp up demand. Um, to your first point, you know, I think it's um, important to sort of recognize, as John said, that the last month of Q2, um, maybe the last half of Q2, was just very different. Um, and it was a difference in terms of people, again, telling us that they were replanning the second half of the year. I expect that that will be very different than as the second half of the year starts. People have budgets. We'll be selling into those budgets. But we wanted to be um, a little defensive, if you will, on our path to profitability. We think it's important that we have committed to being on a path to profitability. And so we sat down and said, what do we, you know, what is our best uh, defensive strategy for ensuring that we can have strong sales productivity, that we can have a path to profitability where we're showing progress along that path. Um, and that led us to trying to manage the, you know, kind of dynamic aspect of the lower end of the market. Um, so that demand that we see, I don't know how much of that demand of the lower end of the market changes or comes through as deals in the second half of the year. And so until we see that happen, and again, it's easy, that's actually the end of the market where it's easier for us to ramp up capacity. They have lower ramp times, uh, you know, faster time to value when we hire uh, SMB sales reps. And so John and I and the team felt like it was the right approach for us to, again, be uh, defensive of that path to profitability, to reduce some of our exposure to that dynamism at the low end of the market, um, to see what happens as we go through the next couple of quarters. And if we see strength in that end of the market, we know we have a great product that solves a real need at that end of the market. We can ramp capacity back up. If we don't see that, then we're in a defensive position already uh, where we can manage our sales productivity and our path to profitability. Understood. And and one follow up on the on the NDR side on expansion. You, um, I, I want to understand if there is a difference in the expansion metrics between customers who are uh, using the flex based pricing model versus seed based pricing model. Are those discussions a little bit different? Uh, I understand that number of seats might be pressured if there are layoffs and all that, but flex based, I guess, is should be a little bit um, uh, not affected by that. I think that's definitely, uh, there's some truth to that. I would say historically the uh, seat-based pricing model was also a little bit chunkier because it was a high-priced seat. And so think of that being sort of a lumpier model if people were doing a lot of dedicated testing with a small number of seats at a much higher price point. Those decisions to add another seat uh, were sort of step changes versus our 
new model and part of what customers like about the flexibility is it's easy to just add a little bit more capacity if the team's testing a little bit more, add another seat or two if you've got some people coming on board. Um, and so I, I think it's it's a little lumpier uh, with the seat-based model, but I wouldn't necessarily say that one model lends itself to expansion and the other does not. We have, have had good expansion uh, revenue in the enterprise under both models historically, and I think that will continue. Got it. Thank you. Our next question is with Brent Brecklin with Piper Sandler. Please proceed with your question. Uh, thank you. Good morning, Andy. I know decisions to uh, reduce headcount are, are tough ones to make, but uh, clearly uh, appreciate the uh, decision to take more of a, a defensive stance just given the dynamic environment we're in. One thing that stood out to me this quarter, though, was the the momentum in the enterprise, 41 net new enterprise ads is a, an all-time record. It's still up over 50% year over year. Can you walk us through kind of maybe the linearity? Does does that imply a lot of those wins came in 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 April and May, and and then and then uh, uh, June, July slowed slowed a little bit? Walk us through maybe what you saw and what you're seeing, and in, in specifically that enterprise cohort that at the surface looks really strong. Yeah, I, I don't know that there was specific linearity there. I definitely think we had um, even some substantive deals late in the quarter that were expansion deals that, that did you know push the decision into Q3. I don't want to imply necessarily that those are even a given. These are, again, decisions that got are going to get revisited this quarter. So I definitely think there was an opportunity to um, to improve that number if, if we hadn't seen some of the slowdown and the rebudgeting that was happening. Um, I think it's a consistent trend we've seen, and, and it reflects, frankly, a lot of the investments we're making in the product. Um, I think at this point we're really providing a unique solution in terms of thinking about what we do as a real enterprise platform that companies can tie into, you know, development workflow, can tie into sort of how a larger organization makes decisions. And frankly, you know, we've been selling for a while now as an evangelical sale with an ROI that is based on how to make these engineering teams, you know, more productive by building the right thing early on. And I think that message resonates even in these kind of economic headwind type environments. And so I think that's an area where, frankly, we, you know, we had line of sight to, to even improve on those numbers if we'd seen, um, you know, less headwinds on decision making. And I think we're going to continue to lean into our enterprise uh, business, you know, going forward. I think that really represents, you know, even stronger unit economics, um, you know, just inherently that, that end of the market always tends to have stronger growth retention rates, um, better upsell rates. And so, again, I think part of our mindset of being defensive on our path to profitability is leaning into that success in the enterprise. Um, maybe to make a small point, we're not um, exiting the SMB space at all. Uh, we just have some, you know, we've reduced our sales capacity there some, uh, really more focused on just, you know, meeting the demand that comes inbound that has approved budget and can spend. So we're being more pragmatic there, but certainly not, um, you know, abandoning that into the market either. Totally makes sense. And then, John, I guess for you, as you think about the uh, the downtick in, in, in NRR this quarter, uh, is is that been impacted at all by enterprise customers maybe reducing capacity and, and consumption uh, on the platform? Is it is it all mostly just um, you know SMB? Any color there you're seeing uh, relative to NR trends in those two different cohorts? Yeah. So as we mentioned, the, the SMB segment, our smaller customers, um, was the softest area. We saw. We saw more churn. Uh, the unit economics are, are generally lower in that area. Um, at the enterprise level, though, again, you're, you're exactly right. We're really, really happy with the progress and the expansion of our large customers, those over $100,000 of ARR, all-time record increase. Um, that the land and expand is working well um, in, in that area. We, you know, let us come in, let us prove our worth, and then we'll expand you know, beyond that. I'll, I'll remind you in the S1, we disclosed that our top 30 customers had a median land of $50,000, and today those top 30 customers uh, have a median, a median ARR of $800,000. So, you know, let us come in, let us, let us show you the value, and then, and then let us expand. So that continues to work well at the enterprise level. Um, but yes, you're, it, with the flex pricing model, the idea of the flex pricing model is to give our customers flexibility in what is right for them. And so I, I, it is going to be easier for them to 
um, flex down in, in down markets as they need to and, and flex up in up markets. And, and so that, that uh, um, situation exists, but we still think it's a better model than, as, as Andy said, the chunkiness of a, a pretty expensive unlimited license that, that we use. We still have both, both, both plans out there. So, you know, whatever is right for the customer, they can choose that plan. Most people have moved to the flex model, particularly the enterprise, because it, it's easier for them to expand um, and grow, and, and it'll also be easier for them to, to flex down um, on, on an annual contract value. But uh, I'm pretty happy with kind of how we're set up in, in the enterprise uh, space in particular. Makes sense. Thanks for the uh, the comments. Certainly, Brent. Our next question comes from Brian Peterson with Raymond James. Please proceed with your question. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Thanks for taking the question. So, so John, I, I wanted to double-click maybe a, a little bit on the on the pipeline. Uh, you know, we're hearing a lot from from other companies that some VC-backed customers may be struggling with budgets. You know, I, I'd be curious. You know, as you look at the pipe more broadly, you know, how much of it is just maybe some some customers just sort of evaluating and taking a pause, or you know, is there a certain amount that may have more structural challenges in terms of spend? You know, any sense for for how that splits out? Well, not specifically, but but you again, um, yes, there was a, a a surprising kind of pause and shift and reevaluation that we that we saw towards the end of the quarter. Um, our our view, our concern was more that the SMB side might have have a harder you know time to get over the hurdle, and that's why we decided to to make the uh, restructuring action that again reduced um, quota carrying capacity in the SMB segment um, primarily. Um, we're more optimistic as, as as we look out that pipeline at the at the larger enterprise, um, you, you know, comes through. Um, but it's still you know it's still pretty uncertain. We we have good confidence from our sales team, um, but more of those deals are looking looking at like Q4 deals. And, and Brian, this is Andy. Just to add um, uh, like a double click on John's point. Part of our philosophy on this has been to sort of manage the size of our SMB team right now to what we see as essentially being more inbound demand. People that are reaching out to us that have funding or have used user testing before, you know, they have conviction already, uh, they're great accounts for us. We have better close rates, faster sales cycles, better renewal rates, frankly, with, with customers that come in with that mindset. What we had been doing in a, in a kind of booming market with lots of VC funding was doing a lot of outreach. We were outbounding. You know, you could, you could call anybody who recently got funding and pitch them user testing, and they're like, yeah, that makes sense. We're trying to, whatever, figure out product market fit, launch a second product, and we'd start a sales cycle. And a lot, a lot of our thinking is, you know, that's going to be tougher sledding going forward. So we reduced, you know, some of that outbounding, you know, SDR infrastructure. We kind of right-sized the team, if you will, so that, you know, when an SMB goes through our funnel and qualifies, that they're, you know, they're well-funded, they've got budget, they've got projects, they've got need, we've got salespeople there to, to close those deals. But I think the idea that, you know, you can just pick up the phone and, and you know, open up Crunchbase and start ringing up startups and they're going to have funding to spend on new projects, uh, I think that's just a big change in mentality, and I think we're right to, to make that shift. Absolutely. That makes a ton of sense. Maybe just a follow-up. I know there's a lot of time between now and October, but uh, I think we're all looking forward to getting together in New Orleans. But, you know, any thoughts on what an in-person user conference, you know, could mean in terms of, you know, prospects or expansion or, you know, products that, you know, I'd just love to get your thoughts on, on, on the user conference as a potential catalyst. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I'm extremely excited about our upcoming user conference in, in mid-October. It's in New Orleans. We call it the Human Insights Summit. Um, you know, it's something we've had in the works for a while. We'd planned to do our first ever global user conference uh, in 2020 uh, when COVID hit, and obviously it was, it was delayed because of that. The prior year, we had run three regional conferences that were a smashing success for us. They were all sold-out events. They had waiting lists. Uh, we really got the sense at that point um, that as the established leader in the space, there was a lot of demand and desire for people to get together, both about our products, but also about the space to share best practices and understanding. Uh, it was really driven in, in many ways, like the rest of the decisions we make at user testing, you know, from our customers wanting to get together. And so uh, it feels now like there's a lot of pent up demand for that event to happen. Uh, I know our team's really excited. We're looking forward to welcoming people and what I think will really be the you know, an industry-level conference on why human insight is so important. So thanks thanks for bringing that up and asking about it. We're, we're really excited about it. Thanks, Andy. Our next question comes from Rob Oliver with Baird. Please proceed with your question. 
Hey, guys. Good morning. Um, Andy, for you guys, one of the success stories, I think, for user testing has been uh, use case expansion, which you guys have set, you know, come up often in our checks with some of your biggest accounts. Just curious and, you know, recognizing that, that the majority of the week this year is, is SMB, you know, when, when you look the the sales feedback and pipeline, uh, is there any that maybe among some of your most devoted customers, there's um, perhaps a slowing of that use case expansion uh, within those accounts um, and um, uh, or, or perhaps a kind of rationalization of, of timing on some of those deals? And then a quick follow-up for uh, John. Yeah, good question, Rob. I think it's been less about um, evaluating specific use cases and deciding that they don't provide value. It, it really does feel like a, a, a tale of, of several different scenarios. As we mentioned, sort of new logo acquisition in SMB was maybe our most challenging area. And again, that's that's more kind of selling the initial use case than, than an expansion play. Uh, I think in existing customers that are growing, uh, what we actually saw a lot of was, was uh, this thought of moving even beyond individual use case expansion to kind of this strategy of thinking about the overall workflow and how do you tie user testing into, you know, your, your product development process or your prototyping process. And that might involve kind of several use cases. Uh, and so I think we're continuing to see that, which was reflected in sort of the, the strength that we saw in enterprise relative to, to SMB. Uh, we do, however, continue to be nimble about what use cases we are demonstrating on the platform. And I think that's part of the power of being a flexible tool like we are. Uh, and again, I mentioned the, the inflation templates that we launched um, and there are many others where, you know, companies are saying, Hey, if the world changes, we want to be able to go understand our users. So we put those use cases out in front while we're selling. Great. Okay. And appreciate that. And then John, um, just a question on the, uh, some of the mechanics or impact of the sales, uh, the headcount sales and marketing headcount so you, know, you guys had been ramping uh, sales and marketing fairly meaningfully, and I think uh, you know we're, we're sort of looking at that and saying, okay, you know, we get into the back half and early 23, there's going to be a cohort of salespeople that are going to be you know up up to speed and, and ready to really really drive um, sales. Can you? I realize it's delicate, but just was curious as to you know how, how you thought about the rationalization in, in sales and marketing were these. Uh, more existing folks or some of the newer folks? Was it geographical base where you saw pockets of weakness there would be would be helpful? Thank you. Yeah, so so you're right, Rob. The last two quarters, Q4, Q1, were some of the biggest hiring quarters we've had in the history of the company. So we were positioning the company for you know, you know big growth and, and and probably for the first time maybe getting ahead of the demand curve. But but again, we had a really good 2021. Um, and we're optimistic uh, going through, and and then and then really uh, the, the 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 war started in February, and and again things started to get really soft, you know, really quick. And as we reevaluated that, we had uh, a lot of thought, uh, both uh, bottoms up and top down, uh, as to what is the right size of the of the different sales teams and the different segments and different geographies. Um, to make sure that, that uh, we're efficient with our spend and our and our sales team that that remains is is, is set up to be successful, and um, I, I think that more was certainly more was done in the SMB space uh, than than any other space, and then it was probably um, more so in the U.S. Uh, lesser in, in some of the uh, the international geographies, but that was about about the the breakup. Yeah, the only thing I'd add to that, um, it's, it's a good answer, John, is that, you know, we also have, um, it's not just the quota carrying salespeople when we think about making these changes. You know, we have ratios like most companies in every one of these roles of supporting functions, you know, uh, solutions consultants and, and uh, you know, sales development reps, SDRs and, and folks like that. And so, um, you know, we sort of made the changes uh, keeping those ratios consistent. So, you know, for every you know, rep we might have taken out of our SMB space. There were some other roles impacted too that supported that function. And so it's, it's um, you know, in pretty focused, as John said, in sort of where we saw some of the, the more dynamic market aspects of the of the SMB space. And really that that adjustment to, to the sales spend is to, to decrease the growth rate. We'll, we still expect in our models to have an, an, an increase in sales and marketing spend in absolute dollars in Q3 relative to Q2. And, and Q4 relative to Q3, 
Um, so we're still growing, we're still investing in all categories. It's really, again, we had some really big hiring in, in Q4, Q1. We're, we're pulling that growth rate back, uh, a little bit more of a defensive posture, and then, and then making sure that our sales efficiency is, is within our range. But we're, you know, continuing to grow the spend. And partly that's also because we had our first, uh, sales kickoff event in two years that we held in Q3 that was very productive. Um, and then Q4, we'll have our first in-person, you know, uh, customer conference as well. So those those are also part of the the uh, spend profile for the second half of the year. Great. Okay, thank you guys. Appreciate it. Yep. Thanks, Rob. As a reminder, if you would like to ask a question, please press star one on your telephone keypad. Our next question comes from Brian Schwartz with Oppenheimer. Please proceed with your question. Yeah, thank you for taking my questions this morning. Um, Andy, just want to double click on the delayed decisioning that you're saying. I think we're hearing it in the commentary as well as the Q&A. Is it fair to assume that that was more pronounced in North America? Um, a little bit, but again, I think it was, I, I, you know, it was largely more segment driven than, uh, than geo driven. So um, it's maybe slightly more pronounced in North America, but we also, uh, you know, it's it's what, what's the number we gave you? Seventy-eight percent of our business in North America. So you sort of sort of end up with a bit of a waiting there in anything we do because it's a majority of the the business. Thank you. And then, John, one follow-up for you. Um, I know you changed the pricing model. Uh, I think a couple of years ago. But um, what percentage of the base is still left on that seat-based model? You know, versus the new pricing, the new flex pricing model. Thank you. Yeah, Brian, it, it's, it's been adopted more heavily at the enterprise global account base. Um, and then the, the SMB, we're giving people more of a choice. Some people just want to you know, have an easy bite at, a, at an unlimited license and not worry about trying to figure out capacity. And then some people usually want to, want to switch over. So we're still offering both models. Um, I, I think that it's, it's the vast majority of the company um, I'd, I'd say 60 to 70% is, is on, on the uh, flex model. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Our next question comes from Yoon Kim with Loop Capital Markets. Please proceed with your question. Thank you. Hey, uh, Andy, uh, given the reduction in the sales capacity, um, can you just update us on your partner network strategy? Yeah, we're definitely uh, continuing to, to lean into partners as, a, as an opportunity for us. Uh, we think of that in a couple different areas. Uh, we're continuing to, to do work uh, and starting to see some, some early signs of, of success uh, working with agencies. Uh, and so, you know, I hope in a future call we can call out some specific agency wins that we're doing. I don't think we have uh, public rights to share any of those yet, but we're, we're continuing to work with agencies uh, really in two ways. Um, one is agencies that actually do some kind of UX design work and want to be able to test that. Uh, but we also see some interest out of uh, agencies that do more work in the marketing area uh, to look at using our platform for, for getting early feedback on uh, on marketing and, and advertorial kind of comment uh, content. Uh, and then we also think there's a, a, a an opportunity for us to work more in the tech partnership ecosystem as well. Uh, and you've heard me mention a couple times, I think, you know, some of the areas like uh, workflow where, you know, we're seeing companies that progress from having, you know, a person or two in a team that are using user testing to get feedback on something they're working on to saying, hey, this is really something that's part of the way that we want to design something, part of the way that we want to build something, part of the way we want to do needs assessment. And so they're looking at the tools that they use to orchestrate those workflows and thinking about how user testing can sit, you know, inside those workflows and so um, those are also, you know, partnerships that we continue to work on um, that I think will, will bear fruit in the future. So, yes, very much still, um, you know, in, in the earlier stages of, of building out that partner ecosystem, uh, but something we remain uh, committed to and, and bullish on over the long term. Okay, great. And then uh, uh, on the number one topic in prior calls, but I guess not today, the contributor network. Um, can you give us update on the contributor network, uh, like the growth trend that you're seeing there in terms of the number of contributors, you know, any cost trends, uh, you know, associated with the uh, new contributor acquisitions, you know, um, and then I, I think we talked about it before, but any plan to charge, you know, different rates for, you know, certain um, more 
targeted audience um, that could command higher value to their customers. Thanks. Yeah, we've continued to see, um, you know, kind of our, our typical economics around uh, contributor acquisition, around uh, contributor payments, uh, and, you know, those kinds of things. So nothing unusual or, or different there. Uh, I think that that engine's running well. We're very happy with it, as you um, see in the numbers, you know, from a you know margins perspective and things like that. That continues to all be um, in line, if not performing a little above what we think the long range plan might be. Uh, from a margin perspective with the contributor network expense. Um, we continue to invest in growing the network. So, you know, we mentioned, uh, I think it was two quarters ago, the, in, the investment we were making and sort of building out a little bit more in Germany. Uh, we're doing a little bit of that with our contributor network now being available in uh, in French. So you'll see some some additional, um, you know, folks coming on from, from regions that, that speak those languages. But again, that sort of happens naturally in the business model that we have structured around the contributor network. Uh, we also have made investments to make our platform and the technology that supports that network more dynamic. Uh, one of the things that we released a few quarters ago was the concept of a shorter test, which allowed us to let our customers run a five-minute test, uh, which had a different contributor payment model behind it. Um, the technology investments we made in doing that gave us the ability to make more flexible payments. Um, so if we choose to, in the future, provide different incentive models for different kinds of contributors, we can. Uh, with that, though, I would say we find as we go up market into more kind of expert network areas, what we often find is people are looking for um, other rewards for their feedback. Either they want to know that they've been heard or they want to get to know that the design team is looking at what they're doing um, versus, um, you know, a, a payment remediation. So uh, we continue to think that's an interesting opportunity over the long term. Um, not necessarily a near-term focus, but we have built into our technology the ability to sort of take on different models with different types of contributor networks. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, we have reached the end of the question and answer session, and I would now like to turn the call back over Andy, to Andy McMillan for closing remarks. Excellent. Well, thank you, everyone, for taking the time to join our call today. Uh, John and I were excited to bring the call to you from, from Scotland, as we mentioned uh, at the start of the call. Uh, just a lot of energy uh, right now in our uh, efforts in, in Europe and seeing success there, which has been great. I uh, want to also thank you for your interest in, in user testing and what I think is a really exciting and compelling uh, thing that we're building and continue to roll to our customers here. We look forward to meeting with some of you at the investor conferences that we're attending in August and September. So if you're at those events, please make sure you Say hi to John and I, uh, and we look forward to updating all of you on our business progress in the quarters ahead. So thank you, everyone. Have a great day. This concludes today's conference. You may disconnect your lines at this time. Thank you for your participation.